Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's get in our Wayback Machine here for just a moment. Have you got your Wayback Machine all tuned up and ready to go? We are going to go to the first three. All right. So New Testament period of time here, mid to late first century. And we're going to pick up a document called the Didache. All right. That is the teaching. So the Didache. Uh, The Didache appears near the end of the New Testament period of time. And it's actually like a manual Um, for the early church in terms of like faith and practice. So um, think about things that maybe your church produces uh, in in terms of discipleship materials, uh, the ways that you as a Christian are encouraged to engage in the things of the day. All right, so that's the Didache in the first century. And the Didache begins with these words. There are two ways, one of life And there is a great difference between these two ways. So that is so true, right? So the Didache, the teaching, um, is is clearly, you know, drawing as closely as possible um, on the teachings of Jesus. Again, we're talking about the first century of the church. And um, maybe you could think about the teaching of Jesus uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 7 related to the narrow gate. Jesus said the gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Again, in the words of the Didache, there are but two ways, one of life and one of death, and there is a great difference between the two. Um, No question that life is complex and that every day presents us with opportunities to make moral and ethical decisions based on which way we have chosen to go, the way of life or the way of death. Today, people in Ohio are going to get to make that decision. They're going to be voting on um, an amendment to their constitution in the state of Ohio related to abortion. I mean, you're either going to vote in, in the direction of life or the direction of death. Like some, some complexities of life are, are actually that obvious. There's no gray area. Uh, Jesus Jesus taught us that there is a way that leads to life, and it is narrow, and there is a way that leads to death, and it is wide. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what is Paul talking about here? And how is it connected to this uh, teaching of the Didache? You know, there's just two ways. One one is a way of life. One is a way of death. Uh, Jesus is teaching about the narrow and the wide um, way, um, one leading to destruction, the other leading to life. 
So the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the word translated wages is the one you're going to want to hone in on here. Uh, in the days that Paul was writing this, the, the wages referred to are what a soldier would have been paid or what a worker would have been paid. The, the wages. So that's, that's easy for us to translate, right? So in the book of Romans, sin is described as reigning, like, you know, like that which, you know, like, a, like has lordship over you. King Jesus reigns, mm-hmm. sin reigns like a military general, even um, maybe like, uh, like a bossy boss. And the compensation is uh, a package of sin. <laughs> so sin, sin has a compensation package, and sin's compensation package is death. That's it. You wonder, you know, like, hey, what's all, what's a... Uh, in a new position you're being offered somewhere, what's the compensation package? Yeah, the compensation package related to a life of sin is just one word, death. And that is what Paul's writing about here. If you choose the way of sin, it leads to death. That's the wages that you get at the end of it. Paul stresses then that the free gift of God, the free gift of God is his grace in Jesus Christ. You can't bargain with God. Um, You can't earn God's affection or love. Um, You can't buy it. You can't do enough good to get it. It's free. You you cannot earn God's favor. It's a free gift, and it's grace. And why don't more people want it? I think when we're reading Romans 6.23 today, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, we do well to remember Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, So Romans 6.23 is really pointing out these two great truths about Jesus. One is that we've been liberated from the black hole of seeking to earn God's favor by working for wages, because sin incurs a debt we could never pay. But God is so gracious and so merciful that he offers us eternal life as a free gift, not on the basis of what we have done or what we might ever do, but purely on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. That is awesome, right? So let me encourage you today, um, as the first century teachers of, of Jesus taught as well in the Didache, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. There's a great difference between these two. One simply produces the wages of sin, which is death. The other takes advantage of the free gift offered by God in Jesus Christ. Won't you join me in that path of life today? Our friend Nick Pitts is going to join us next, and we're going to survey um, some of the, the things going on in the world. One of them is just the reality that families are complicated. Do you have a complicated family? a specific member of your family that comes to mind when I ask that question. Maybe we could be praying for that member of your family today. I'll ask you to do the same for me. Families are complicated, and the sexual revolution has only made it more complicated. We're going to talk with Nick Pitts about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hang on. Among other things, a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement, 
Good morning, brother. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Uh, I'm well. So we're having um, just a little slight delay. Uh, and so you might sense a delay. And if so, just ignore it. And we're just going to assume that everybody who's listening is is writing it off to it's early in the morning. Yeah, I feel so good about that. I, I, I'm ready for it. And I will not be, though I am delayed, I will not be deterred. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so I read this piece in the Big Think um, on the 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 sexual revolution and what it has done to modern families, and it made me recall that it hasn't been that long ago that Pew Research issued some um, some findings in relationship to the modern American family. And I thought, who better to talk with about this than Nick Pitts? Yeah, it, uh, it, it's fascinating. We're we're seeing the we're seeing another uptick in the results of what spanned all the way back from the 1950s. Some even dated to the 40s. Really began to be popularized in the 60s and 70s. And that is the uh, essentially, if you had to put a theme to it, the theme would be what was once a commitment has now become a choice. And that is the family formation and the family dynamics has just radically shifted over these past years. And we're starting to see that, right? We we saw a big uptick in the 80s uh, and 90s in the teen birth rate, where you had individuals that were largely getting pregnant at uh, younger ages without the commitment and really without even high school educations. Um, you saw that uptick. You saw the rise of birth control uh, or probably better, more specifically, you saw a rise of abortion in the 90s, early 2000s, where that and then you saw in the 90s and early 2000s, you saw a rise in cohabitation um, where individuals were forsaking the idea of getting committing to one another in covenant of marriage and instead just kind of living one with another. And now today you're seeing this uh, it not it, a rise would be one word to put it. The other way to put it would just be the delay of individuals that are one, getting married and two, having kids. And so family dynamics, which was traditionally characterized and symbolized by kind of a lead it to Beaver, uh, June uh, and Wally Beaver are now, uh, it's a it's a little bit different in 2023. I wonder, um, as you look at the numbers and you look at fertility rates and you look at who's having kids and who's not having kids, I mean, I hear some people argue that, you know, we just we just kind of have to wait this out for a generation. The people who are choosing not to have babies are the people who think babies are bad. And the people who are choosing to have babies are the people who think babies are good and they're having lots of babies. Uh, and so is it possible, Nick, that this sorts itself out over time? Well, one can hope, right? Um, uh, there was a there was a thought we've seen we've seen kind of a downtick uh, in the birth rate here in the U.S. over the past twenty years, and so one or really just we saw the downtick really started around uh, a little before twenty seventeen. But one would hope. Um, but then uh, I guess you can be a little bit discouraged because there was a there was a working assumption that individuals uh, don't have kids when times are tough and uh, during times of great prosperity. And so uh, what we saw during the pandemic is you come out of the pandemic and you see there is a great amount of wealth. More Americans have more in their savings account than what they've had even pre-pandemic. 
you saw this idea of perhaps individuals coming together and being forced to kind of sit quiet and stay inside uh, during the pandemic would cause an uptick in the birth rate. And that, that didn't happen like we anticipated it would. And so that that's a cause for concern, but here's me hoping that we'll see. I'm always more of the optimist optimist of it. And I think that there could be some dynamics that you're starting to see in play. I think if you look at some of the religious adherence numbers, um, there, there's an uptick there. I think you're starting to see, uh, there, there's just a, there's just a, I guess if you're at the bottom of the barrel relative to loneliness, you're at the bottom of the barrel relative to kind of some of the, the levels of, uh, lack of happiness. You see that there is an opportunity and an opening in the form of having kids. So maybe there's a chance there. When we think about the future, right? I mean, you know, you've got a you got a baby girl. When you think about the future, um, I'll just confess to you: I spent this past weekend on uh, a university campus. Um, it's a small school, and I I came home with nothing but hope. I I am so encouraged. I'm so um, grateful to God for the way that He's working in in the lives of families um, who are raising wonderful, extraordinary young men and women who are now being educated, you know, at a Christian university. And I'm thinking to myself, we're going to be okay. Like, we're, we're going to be okay. And then, of course, I look out of the, uh, you know, uh, out of the side eye um, at what is going on on some other university campuses. And my mom really reminded me of something good here. She said, so that was a campus of like 50,000 people, and there were 2,000 people protesting. She said, so maybe we, some of this is we have to get it into perspective, and we can't let what the few are doing overwhelm the positive things that are happening among the many. I, I completely agree with that. I, I was at Dallas Baptist University's uh, had their fundraiser last night. And it's really, like you said, it's really easy to look at some of the outlier examples. I mean, just from a physiological standpoint, our brain processes bad news more significantly than it does good news. We just linger over it and spend more time on it. And it's harder to shake from us. And so that just creates incentive structures for if it bleeds, it leads, right? It's all the bad news is always going to be at top of mind. But I don't know yeah. about you, but like you've mentioned, I, I'm just very I'm very encouraged by the good that I'm saying. And I can lament the bad, but lamenting the bad won't won't change what needs to happen. And so I've chosen instead of lamenting the bad to be a part of the good. And what are those good pockets of communities that I can continue to come alongside? What are those good things that I can do to be the community that I that I want little Dottie to be raised up in? <laughs> we're already. All right, we're going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, Nick and I are going to continue this conversation. We're going to pivot to a conversation about just how complicated the modern family has become. Um, and we're going to bring one particular family into view so that we can, um, you, you can have something to talk about just in terms of this is not like us gossip for this particular family. This is just because they're so high profile. It's easy for us to point to them and say, um, this is a modern, quote unquote, modern family. Um, and it's complicated. So we're going to talk about, uh, Kamala Harris and her husband and his daughter and fundraising for Hamas. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com.
Continuing our conversation with our buddy Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. We love chatting with him. Um, So, Nick, Kamala Harris is the Vice President of the United States. She is married to um, the second gentleman. He is Jewish. His daughter uh, is Ella Imhoff. Ella does not identify as Jewish um, and is publicly fundraising for Gaza. Um, Notably, her dad, the second gentleman, is the Biden administration's lead for anti-Semitism. Families are complicated. Oh yeah, this is. Uh, I I don't know about y'all, but when I read when I read this article, it it reminded me of the different. This put a magnifying glass on the differences many of us will be going home to or experiencing here in a few weeks when we attend our Thanksgiving meals. We are totally. keenly reminded, totally. keenly reminded of the differences that will be sitting around the table of individuals that have various passions and factions that have. Uh, formed them and they uh, in turn are being formed by and then they're coming together with family and seeing how they're a little bit different than one another. So let's just unpack this for a moment just in terms of um, what is happening uh, culturally, what is happening nationally in relationship to uh, people behaving in ways toward Jewish individuals or toward the Jewish people um, in ways that we would call anti-Semitic. So how do you understand that term? And then um, how would you go about having a conversation with a person who maybe doesn't see themselves as anti-Jewish, they see themselves as pro-Palestinian, but in this particular moment, you can't be both? Yeah, I, I you know, this is a, a funny enough, we're having this conversation and my uh uh, I see very much eye to eye with my family relative to the anti-Semitic um, purge that's happening right now. Uh, just this rash of incidents that have happening since the no- November 7th tragedy that happened over in Israel. And what, what was fascinating, though, is it struck a conversation of where did this hate come from? It, it's mm. it's quite literally anti- anti-Semitism is known as the world's oldest hate. And there's been a variety of different individuals and different theories as to where it comes from. You can date it all the way back uh, just to the idea that it's God's chosen people that envy and strive. You can date it back to they were the individuals that were forced to at times, other times voluntarily chose to participate in the financial system. And a large uh, significant part of them were able to be key components to the success of societies, um, even though they weren't necessarily uh, producers in that society. Uh, There's a lot of various reasons you can go back to. But at the end of the day, what I am keenly aware of and what I am wanting to do is I'm wanting to, one, uh, set measured expectations, but also to ask really poignant questions. And so one expectations when I come around to the Thanksgiving table is I'm wanting to make sure my expectation isn't going to be to have a Paul, uh, Saul and a Paul. Uh, conversion. I know that I'm, there's a low likelihood of me being able to radically transform their opinion um, uh, to my opinion uh, at, during this conversation. So I need to measure my expectations well. And then the second piece would just to be able to ask poignant questions. It's really easy to come with assertions just based probably on the individuals and conversations you've had. And so it's important instead just to ask questions to try to get at why they think the way that they do. 
and, and that that might be helpful for you in figuring out ways to be able to inch them a little bit further along. Um, let's role play that here for just a moment. So I had an encounter over the past weekend where a particular individual um, used the term uh, Palestine. He kept talking about Palestine. And I did not, I mean, as he was talking, I didn't interrupt. Um, and I actually waited a whole day before it felt like there was a conversational opportunity for me to say to him, you know, you've been using a term and I have an understanding of that term. And I just want to be sure that my understanding of the term is what you mean when you're using the term. And so what do you mean when you refer to Palestine? And he looked at me and said, I'm talking, you know, the people. And I said, so those are the Palestinians. Those are people. Palestine makes it sound like you are referring to a a geography, a place, and there is technically no place on the map called Palestine. And so when you are referring to Palestine, I am hearing you say no Israel. That is what I hear when I hear you say Palestine. I am hearing you say wipe out Israel. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. So I think that uh, as you say, being non-anxious, waiting for opportunities, listening well, asking good questions, asking people what they mean by something, knowing what we understand terms to mean, and then just being willing to engage in thoughtful conversation with other people without getting all worked up. That's the part, um, you know, it, It's you can have a passionate commitment to something but you have to be able to not get all worked up in the midst of it. And I think that's really hard. Oh, yeah. This is quite literally what our Lord demonstrated when he talked with Abram, right? When Abram was continuing to go back and forth with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, God was just very patient with Abraham at that moment. He was very uh, he was very kind towards Abraham in that moment. And he was just in a listening posture of being willing to engage in that conversation. I think the same can be said of us, even though, even though we know, we, we know the answer. And even though God knew the answer to Abraham, he was patient and he was kind with him as he engaged with him. I think the same is going to be said. uh, The same can be said of us. We need to be patient and kind, even though we might have the answers, it's going to be important for us just to be willing to to listen closely, to ask thoughtful questions, and then just to be gracious and move along with people as they move. Because at the end of the day, this is what our God has done to us. He did. He didn't end us, even though he disagreed with us, but he won us with kindness, that which led to repentance. And hopefully the same can be said across thousands and millions of dinner tables as we approach the Thanksgiving holiday. That's so good. Maybe the next time that we talk, hopefully it won't be too late to talk about um, side items and your favorite and maybe turkey preparation. So, Oh, well, I, I, know. I can't speak to turkey preparation, but we... There's, there's no conversation to be had, and this is where I'm going to throw out all of what I've said earlier. The sweet potato casserole is the king. It's the king. Side dishes, it's the king. There's, there's no coming for it. Are they sliced? Are they cubed? Are they, do you see what I'm saying? And then is there a layer of like pecans and marshmallows? I need to, I just need to quickly know what the sweet potato casserole situation is. 
oh, it's just mash goodness of it's a mm-hmm. dessert, um, a dessert disguised in the form of a side dish during the entree. It is delectable <laughs> with brown sugar, marshmallows. The more, the merrier. Oh, it's so good. All right, we're headed over to your house. We're headed over to your house. That sounds Deal. so good. All right, uh, that's Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. If you want uh, more on how to have conversations today on these topics that are very, very difficult and upon which people are extremely polarized, let me just remind you that yesterday we talked with Dr. Linda Mental. That was a great conversation. Um, we talked uh, for a period of that time about the spiritual reality and spiritual nature of what's going on and how to operate in the opposite spirit. How do I enter into conversations, not in the natural spirit or in the worldly spirit, but in the spirit of the living God? You know, again, just mindful that people don't need another piece of our mind. What they need is the very peace of the mind of Christ. So a couple of um, news items here before we transition to our conversation with Luke Moon. And again, this is um, this is on the topic of the conversations taking place across the culture and what it's leading to. So last Friday, a 34-year-old Palestinian woman in Indiana was arrested after crashing her car into the Israelite School of Universal and Practical Knowledge in Indianapolis. She believed that school was a pro-Jewish organization, when in fact uh, it is um, a, an extremist anti-Israel organization. Uh, And so this woman was not part of any organized effort. She's got no prior criminal record. She was watching the news. And according to a statement provided by the Indianapolis Metro PD, she got in her car and targeted what she thought were Jewish children for murder. Let that sink in for just a moment. Over the weekend, as a part of demonstrations around the world, thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters descended upon Washington, D.C. and marched on the White House. They were defacing multiple statues. They wrapped uh, Benjamin Franklin in a pro-Palestinian flag. They put red paint on their hands and marked up the stone pillars at the entrance to the White House um, at uh, at the vehicle gate, chanting profanities directly at the U.S. president, who was notably not in residence at the time. For 12 hours yesterday in Tacoma, Washington, about 1,000 pro-Palestinian demonstrators blocked the entrances to the port where a U.S. military cargo ship is docked and uh, set to be loaded. Protesters believe the ship is going to carry weapons to support Israel in their war against Hamas. The Department of Defense, as you might imagine, is not confirming or denying the ship's manifest nor its travel plans. But the U.S. has increased its military presence in the Middle East Um, since October the 7th. Notably, the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group, nuclear-powered submarines, um, the Ford Carrier Strike Group, other warships in the Middle East, including a Navy destroyer, um, and a number of U.S. troops are now in the region as well. Uh, 45,000 U.S. service members and contractors are stationed in the Middle East on U.S. bases. Most of them are in Kuwait, but thousands are in Qatar, Bahrain, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, on and on and on. So um, we're in this. We're in this. Uh, And President, uh, uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel said yesterday, this is not um, anything less than a global war. And we need to be mindful of that as that language is embraced by people who then take uh, matters into their own hands. So briefly, yesterday afternoon, um, as Westlake High School students were leaving for the day, 
Now, here we're talking about Ventura, California. So get this in view here. Ventura, California. Uh, That's a pretty um, pricey zip code. It's a town known for its beaches and its 1809 Mission Church. It's a pretty place. And at uh, at the intersection, there's a four-lane intersection at Thousand Oaks Boulevard and Westlake Boulevard. Again, Ventura, California. There's like a Trader Joe's. And... um, and, you know, like a place where, I don't know, you can get your energies manipulated. Like, it's a kind of a fancy place. Um, so at this four-lane intersection, there were two rallies going on. Uh, one, on one side of the road, pro-Palestinian, and on the other side of the road, pro-Israel. A person armed with a megaphone crossed from the pro-Palestinian side of the road to the other side of the road and struck a 69-year-old man in the head. He has since died. So if you wondered what's going on out there on the streets of America in relationship to what's going on in the Middle East, we're already in this. We're going to talk with our friend Luke Moon from the Philos Project about this more. It is one month ago today, one month ago today, that Hamas entered the state of Israel and attacked her people. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Luke Moon is joining us now. You can find Luke and lots of resources related to all things um, happening at the intersection of uh, global politics and the Christian faith, philosproject.org. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Carmen. October 7th was one month ago. I think I just want to, to allow you to reflect on that for a moment. Well, I... I um... I've been very busy for the last <laughs> month, and it was it, it took a few days for me to you know for the for the tears to hit. Right, it was a it was a very intense few days uh, learning about what had happened. You know, thinking about how uh, we were going to respond and and encouraging Christians to you know respond and 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 reach out to their Jewish friends and let them know that that they're not alone and that kind of thing and you know since then i i kind of actually i was worried um that we were going to lose the attention span of the average american uh i thought that two weeks ago i thought we'll have about two weeks of the attention span of america and then it's gonna wane it's gonna move on and that hasn't happened um i think israel Israel has a a different place in the imagination of the world, not just Americans, but the whole world. It's it is um, it is significant to the three largest religions in the world. Um, but I think more than that, I think what we're seeing on the college campuses and in the streets across the world is the is really the recognition that this is. This is a spiritual battle first, um, and uh, that there is still something very, very particular that that God has uh, in mind for that place and those people. And I think that this is, is you know, the there's a saying in the, uh, the, the the Jewish people have that every generation someone comes along to destroy them, and this is the this is the 
um, the the moment that you know there was a there was a group that tried to destroy them in the way that you know under in the in the book of Esther, um, you know Haman tried to destroy the Jewish people there. So those are my thoughts right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I also um, I think that one of the observations I would make is that everybody that I talk to um, has a connection and, and has had reason to reconnect with someone in their life who, oh, I had a Jewish friend in high school, or I had a Jewish friend in college, or I had a Jewish friend when I worked here or there along the way. And this has provided such an odd opportunity to reconnect. Um, and I'm not yeah. even saying, Luke, that we have necessarily known exactly what to say in reconnecting with them, but I I talked at church on Sunday with a man who 12 years ago worked with a guy, and this has given them cause to reconnect. And so wow. there's there's something going on at the relational level that is particularly yep. sweet. Yeah. No, it is. And I, like... I am I'm in no less than like six WhatsApp groups where I think I'm probably the only Christian, um, the only non-Jew. And like they they are so grateful for, you know, me to be there with them, uh, you know, to, in, you know, I just, you know, I'll, I'll encourage them as Shabbat comes in and, you know, I'm with you guys. And they're just they they're they're shocked that they're they're not alone. And I think I. I have seen, um, I had somebody send me a, a video of, you know, a guy in Israel saying, you know, like we trusted in our guns, we trusted in our, in our military. We trusted, you know, we, we, we trusted in America and we've reached a point where the only person we can trust is Hashem, which is, you know, he's, he, which is God. And, and that I'm like, that is so biblical to me right like yeah that's that, so big i mean right? i that's hear, so that's big. Ex, it's what i hear the prophets say right like you like you don't trust in chariots and don't trust in egypt and don't trust in your own strength you can only like and and the fact that you know these are these are jewish people who are saying this i'm like what the heck god <laughs> you're doing something freaking awesome <laughs> Yeah, God's going to get his glory, right? That's one of the things he is. That, um, I'm he always is. mindful of. Um, I think that being able to say things like you are not alone or I'm with you or Shabbat Shalom, um, equipping us with some of that language is really good. Remind us again, um, because you know we, we should do it every time we talk. On Friday, <laughs> um, if you're able and you could take some white roses to any expression of Jewish gathering near you. So your Jewish community center, yes. a synagogue, a Shabbat, like any, any place like that. Can you talk with us again about how to, um, how to just connect with that idea and why, why white roses? Yeah. So there was a, there was a group of, of actually college students and young professionals in the forties uh, who were basically saw what the Nazis were doing to the Jewish people. And were like, uh, like they just had to speak out. And so they, be, they called them themselves the white rose. That was their, the symbol for their little organization. And um, so when we started thinking about how do we, how do we represent standing with 
Jews in the moment of anti-Semitism, we chose the white rose as our symbol of that. Um, and it actually it comes a bit from in, in Sarajevo, there's a thing called the Sarajevo Rose, which is anywhere during the, during the Balkan War, there was a, uh, a mortar landed and killed somebody. They filled that, that hole that was formed with, with red uh, epoxy, and it's called the Sarajevo Rose. And you walk around Sarajevo and you see them everywhere. And it's, it's, it, it was in that kind of vein, this like, let's hearken to this idea of we're, we're standing with you, pulling back a memory from, from the last time the Jews were, were so brutally attacked and just an, an expression of, listen, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with your community. I, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had, we had a, a day of action where we had people, um, Carmen, 180 cities across America, people delivered white roses to local synagogues. And we're, I'm still getting messages from people on that. Just like the, the, you know, lots of tears, lots of people wrote me saying like the, when they handed it to the person that they just broke down or, or um, you know, my, my, my dad, he was, my dad's a, he, like he 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 cries a lot so he was he was telling me like as he was describing his experience of going to to the the local synagogue he was like they cried and, and i cried and it was, it's it just you know it's it the other thing i love about karma is it feels so good you know yeah. we, i think i i when, mean you want to do you, something you do you but it's here's the thing is that we're so used to like social media interaction that when you do something physical that's good it, it actually like it it gives you it's not like the fake endorphins or whatever it's not the dopamine whatever whatever the happy you know thing in your brain that happens it's not the fake kind that comes with like somebody liking your social media post it's the real kind that comes when you're actually interacting with another person for for no other reason just than pure just goodness and it, it feels really good. That's all. That's my, that's my, that's my pitch. It feels good. <laughs> okay. So we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, you're going to help me pronounce, um, correctly the, uh, the garment that is worn by Jewish men under their, sh- under their shirt or under their, or under their yeah. cloak. It has these woolen fringes that are tied to each other. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Okay. Yes. In a minute, in a minute, Luke's going to tell me how to pronounce it because the police officer outside of the Weston synagogue to whom I gave my white roses, um, that is how I knew he was Jewish. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. 
And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, we're talking with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. Um, You can uh, connect with Luke online on Twitter or directly at philosproject.org. You can also connect with the Philos Action League on Twitter, philos underscore action. Um, All right, Luke, the police officer that I encountered, um, to whom I gave my white roses because... uh, yeah, because I think for security reasons, they're not just yes. letting people wander onto the property of particular synagogues yes. in particular towns and cities. Tell me what it is that I could see the edges of under the neckline of his shirt. So he, he is the the shirt itself is called a talikatan, which is like um, it's like a rectangular. It's like wearing a oh, if you've ever been in the rain and had the cut the neck out of a garbage bag it's a bit like yes. that basically you mm-hmm. know it's like it's just a regular a rectangle cloth that has a neck hole and armholes um and and then has these the the tassels that come off the four corners are called a tzitzi uh t-z-i-t-z-i-t yeah so it's well i think that's how they say it i'm 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 terrible with hebrew so but it comes from the book of numbers um it says like you'll look upon the like the wear the garment you'll look upon it and like basically remember the commandments Mm. it's it's all that stuff's very intentional but it's like you know in the in the new testament when the woman reached out and touched the garments of jesus yeah like the the idea is that she touched his tzitzit like the 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 little threads that come down is like um the 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 one that woman that was unclean um and they it has this blue like there's blue in the in the tassels and that's also significant two reasons one is um if you see them with blue in it they didn't know how they lost the knowledge of how to make it uh for like i don't know a thousand years so nobody had the blue tassels and um, then they found it uh, in, that it was a it was a it was a shell from Israel, uh, like a muscle basically. Um, and they pound it into grind it and make a dye out of it. And uh, yeah, so lots mm. of things with that. That's so fascinating. Okay, and then um, one of my mm-hmm. kids asked me this question, so I'm asking you because I don't know or I can't remember. So we have a number of. Um, with synagogues, and then we also have um, things that look like synagogues, but the word on the front is Shabbat, C-H-A-B-A-D, yes. and I might be mispronouncing that. Um, and then we obviously yes. have a Jewish community center, which is like a YMCA. But tell me, um, like, is it, like, I think of them as like denominations? Is that kind they of? Are, that's, uh, that's about okay. right. That's about right. Uh, um, Chabad is like, 
they're basically the, I call them the evangelistic Jews when they're not, they're not evangelizing non-Jews, but if you walk by, well, I walk by, I have a beard and can, 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 I, I can, you know, in a moment pretend to be Jewish. Um, they'll say, are you Jewish? And if I said yes, then they would ask me to like put on the, like wrap my arm with the, with leather and put the box of the scroll of the, the Old Testament on my head and pray a prayer. They're, they're basically trying to get Jews to be more Jews. Um, and then there's synagogues are all kinds, but you will know the different denominations by what they call themselves. So if it's, if it says like temple something, it's a reform synagogue because the idea was that there isn't just one temple, like as in the Bible, there's lots of temples. And so the reformed call their tend to call their synagogues temples, temple, Beth Emanuel, temple, you know, Shalom, temple, whatever. Uh, and, and then there's like the sons of Israel, which is either conservative or orthodox. It's a, it's a whole thing. And, um, you know, they even have like, you know, in Israel, there's, there's lots of Jews and lots of different different kinds following different denominations and it's you know i it's it's one of those things that i find very fascinating is like the their their denomination is in their dress like mm. if you wear a certain uh coat uh you're of a, de- a particular denomination if you wear your socks into the certain lengths uh if you wear a hat of a certain shape all of that is like you know it's the it's they're all ultra orthodox, but they're like it's almost the equivalent of like I'm I'm a fundamentalist Baptist. No, I'm a Southern Baptist. No, I'm Baptist General Conference. No, I'm 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 a cooperative Baptist. No, I'm like it's that kind of thing. It's it's more than like it's the rabbi you follow makes the the kind of denominational layer layer one more down. So fascinating. It's so fascinating. All right. Well, thank you, um, Luke, for all of that. We are obviously going to be continuing this conversation into the future. Um, Thank you for all of the resources that you guys are providing at philos.org. want to invite folks to connect there with the Philos Project. They're doing some great podcasts that you are invited to tune into as well. Um, Connect with the Philos Action League there at philosproject.org. Um, or on Facebook and Twitter. So let me um, let me just note that this coming Friday is Veterans Day. This coming Friday is Veterans Day, and um, I will be celebrating um, my stepdad's 90th birthday, November 11th, uh, 1933, is the day that Sweet Ron Melzer was born, and. Um, he asked me to review for him some things that were happening during the year of his birth. And I will tell you that um, it has given me pause. So the constellation of things all happening, what's happening now around the world, the reality of Veterans Day, his 90th birthday, and then a look at 1933. So let me just um, share this with you in case you have forgotten this history. On April the 1st, 1933, two years after Hitler was elected chancellor, little more than a week after the first concentration camp opened at Dachau in Germany, 
Germany held a one-day boycott of all Jewish-owned businesses. It was the beginning of the effort to identify, isolate, and eventually drive Jews from the German economy. April the 1st, 1933. You will note that it was not until after Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Imperial Japanese on December the 7th, 1941, that we actually entered the war. So on this Veterans Day, let's be considering the wars we have fought and the wars um, that we fight as the people of God every single day. we got another hour together. Next, we're going to continue bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.